It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked into Locked On Badgers on a Tuesday. My name is Asher Lowe. I am the sports director at 91.7 FM WSUM Madison. I am a writer for Badgers Wire at the USA Today Gannett Publication Group. And, of course, more importantly and most importantly, I'm your host right here on the Locked On Badgers podcast, bringing you everything that is Wisconsin sports, Wisconsin basketball, and football more specifically. Today's episode, and we don't have sports to talk about, of course, right now that are being played, but we do have the YouTube vault of the NCAA March Madness YouTube vault to look back on. And today's episode, me and Ben Stevens from Lockdown Big Ten are talking about Wisconsin and Kentucky, rewatching that game and everything that that game was. I mean, what a redemption win. Probably the best win in the history of Wisconsin basketball. We're talking about it right here on Lockdown Badgers. So that interview is coming up right now. I'll hand it over to Ben and let's get things started. So let's roll on with the Big Ten NCAA Tournament Rewatch Series. And it is our honor right now to welcome on the host of the Locked On Badgers podcast, a part of this great Locked On podcast family. It is Asher Lowe. Asher, it is your second time on the Locked On Big Ten podcast. You were the first ever guest to be on two times. So thank you very much, my friend, for being here. Of course, man. Last time we were talking about actual uh, games, Wisconsin season, I feel like. So it's it's not it's not quite as... As exciting as last time, but actually, after rewatching this game, I might have changed my tune because this was this was quite the rewatch. Exactly. We, although it's not a game that will be in the future or even in the present, as we discussed last time, we look to the past to still bring some hope, to bring some entertainment, to bring some joy, and especially if you're a Wisconsin fan, this game brought the joy. Probably one of the biggest I have done in the rewatch series up to this point. I'm talking the 2015 Final Four in Indianapolis, two one seeds. Wisconsin and Kentucky. The Badgers, the Big Ten regular season champs, the Big Ten tournament champions, 31 and three heading into the big dance. And Kentucky was perfect, unbeaten heading into that Wisconsin game. And to make matters even more dramatic, it was a rematch of the year prior of the 2014 Final Four when Kentucky snuck out a heartbreaker for Wisconsin fans, the Wildcats winning 74-73. So quickly, Asher, I'm just going to set the scene for our fans here so they know how the game played out, and then we'll get into this breakdown even more. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right, so tight game early on between Wisconsin and Kentucky, but you could feel the electricity from the jump. Wisconsin led 18-14, to 14, about under 12 minutes left in the first half. They upped their lead to nine. It was the largest deficit Kentucky had faced in the entire tournament. Lead kind of hovered around seven points, nine points for the majority of the ending of the first half, but then Kentucky stormed back late, tied at 36, heading into the halftime locker room between Wisconsin and Kentucky. But then the Badgers came out hot in the second half. They upped their lead to eight, about five minutes into the final 20 minutes. But Kentucky then went on a 16-4 to run. They led by four with under five minutes left. And here's where we really get to the good stuff, the nitty-gritty, and why this game is a part of this rewatch series. Two minutes, 40 seconds left. Nigel Hayes drives baseline on Carl Anthony Towns, cat as we will call him. Should have been a shot clock violation. Hayes' initial shot was blocked. He got it back. Ball was still in his hands with zero on the shot clock. But the refs didn't see that allowed the basket to be scored, it tied the game at 60. They couldn't go back and replay it, 
go to the review table. So game tied at 60. Then a minute later, Sam Decker and his heroics for the Badgers drills a step back three. I mean, coldly drills this three. You got a Bill Raftery onions call. That's how you know it was good. Wisconsin led by three, 63-60. Now a one-point game, 64-63. Under 30 seconds left. Who else does Wisconsin go to but Frank Kaminsky does his beautiful drop step move on the baseline, gets fouled, makes both of his free throws. Wisconsin adds some free throws late, and they hold on for a dramatic 71-64 win over Kentucky, 38 and done, as the Badgers said. It felt like they won the national championship. Obviously, they won on and played Duke in a great national title game just a few days later. The Blue Devils did prevail in that one. But this one was huge for Wisconsin. They wanted the rematch. They wanted the vindication from a year prior, and they got it. Again, the Badgers beating Kentucky 71-64. So, Asher, the first two-time guest on the show, it is my privilege to kick it to you now and to talk about your early impressions of what you remember from this Wisconsin and Kentucky battle. So, first thing I remember about this Kentucky team is, oh, my God, like, Oh my God. How is this oh a real college, right. college basketball team? I, I, looking down this, up and down this roster, this is an NBA playoff team in the East tomorrow. Like you yeah. could throw that, you could absolutely put Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Cauley Stein, Trey Lyles, and heck, even one of the Harrison twins on, on an NBA team tomorrow. And I think they'd contend for a playoff spot. No doubt about it. So absolutely. I, I mean, what a roster, what, what a team. And I'll get to why I think they lost this game a little later, but I don't think it had anything to do with the personnel and the players on the court. I think it had a lot to do with, Coach Cal and some big mistakes down the stretch. But my first impression of rewatching this game and just thinking about this game was how good this Kentucky team was, how great they were. They were one of the best college basketball teams in the history of my lifetime. I think the only thing that comes close to them was the 2012 Kentucky team, which I do think is better. You have to put ahead of them just because they won the national championship. But I think if this team had won the national championship, there would be a very, very interesting and, and honestly fair debate between 2012 and 2015. So the first thing is just how great Kentucky was. From a Wisconsin perspective, man, best Wisconsin team they've ever had. I mean, by far right. as well. And the depth was was killer. You have an NBA player coming off the bench. How many times do we say that in Wisconsin's history? I think never with uh, right. D.A. Dukin, who came off the bench and did play in the NBA for the Kings uh, and a couple other G League squads. But, man, the depth is there. You have a young Ethan Happ on the bench in street clothes. You don't even, right. you don't even need him. So, I mean, redshirt years. So, you have, you have so much – depth on both sides of the basketball, which was which was impressive to just watch this back and watch. But man, Wisconsin wanted Kentucky like all year. It was just yeah. almost almost the Big Ten Championship, the, the regular season Big Ten Championship didn't mean that much. It was just almost a collision course. You knew this game was going to happen. Grant Hill actually said it on the broadcast, but it reminded me of just how much Wisconsin wanted Kentucky in that rematch because you said as you said last year or the year before last year, I'm acting like I'm in 2015 now. Right. In 2014 right. Uh, of course, Kentucky beat Wisconsin on the heartbreaker and then went on to lose the national championship. But Grant Hill said on the broadcast that Frank Kaminsky came up to him after the Big Ten tournament or at the Big Ten tournament somewhere there and said, you know, we want Kentucky. Mr. Hill, we want Kentucky. Bring them on. And Wisconsin got Kentucky. And you're right. It did feel like a national championship. I think I don't think there's been a bigger celebration. Maybe if Loyola Chicago had beaten Michigan. That's, that's the only thing I think they could have come close in recent right. memory. For a national semifinal win, if Loyola Chicago had won that game, I could see a huge celebration, much like Wisconsin's. But I've never seen a bigger celebration for a national semifinal win, and it was totally fair. I mean, this is this is the best college basketball team to not win the national championship in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And as you mentioned, 
the early impressions for me also centered around just how good this Kentucky team was because it was one of the first shots before the ball was even tipped. And the CBS crew kind of did a fade from Carl Anthony Towns into Willie Cauley-Stein. And I was like, goodness freaking gracious. Like, you have these two behemoths as your starting front court, and Cat was a freshman, and then you had the athleticism of Willie Cauley-Stein. And it literally took about 30 seconds later for Kentucky to break out into the fast break and throw Willie Cauley-Stein an oop that he just slammed down. His eyes were at the rim. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Because it's so yeah, funny. Yeah, but Willie, man. Willie, yeah. though, the thing about Willie, though, in this game, I think if you saw this, too, Willie – was nowhere near the offensive player he was on Sacramento like four years later. And right. in fact, like Nigel Hayes, the way he guards him a lot of the time is he literally just sits in the paint like the whole time. Willie Cauley Stein is the ball 18 feet away and you're not even looking at him. Trey Lyle is pretty similar where, yes, he could still shoot on this Kentucky team, but both those guys took massive st- – I mean, Devin Booker wasn't in the game. So like right. a lot in the last six minutes. So you're talking about a lot of guys that took huge steps forward. And so when we look at it from an NBA perspective, you're like, oh, my God. But – offensively honestly this team was pretty much cat like it really was way too reliant on cat from the name right. you, you see like they needed cat to, to be big or they weren't winning or they weren't winning a national championship and he wasn't bad in this game but i mean i think we, we sometimes if we think about willie Cauley stein and trey lyles and Devin booker of course Devin booker being the best example because of how he's grown in the nba but these guys were not the same offensive players in college nowhere near Devin booker was a, an amazing shooter in college but that was about all he was Right, and I love though what Cal would go with his full line like hockey shift. Oh my! I hated the platoon, man. I hated the platoon. Uh, I love it because it it was wild though because I hadn't really thought about this Kentucky team in a while. So when they bring in Tyler Eulis and then Devin Booker, I'm like, holy crap! Devin Booker was sitting on the bench to start this game, and then you're right though he had such a pure jump shot, but he only scored six points in this game. And every time he went up for a shot, Grant Hill and Raff and even Jim Nance were like, wow, that was beautiful. And it makes you think like, wow, Devin Booker really had an impact, but really he only finished with six points. So I, I did love the full line sub though. I think it's always great in basketball when you have five guys come on and then five guys go off. It's really funny. It also parlays into my final early impression. And that was just the fact that John Calipari is a scary dude, like a scary, scary <laughs> dude. And the way that the floor is set up at a lot of these final fours that are played in football stadiums in these huge stadiums, it's elevated a little bit, kind of like the barn at Minnesota. And it seemed like Cal would just, when he was yelling at his players or the refs or whatever, would just come onto the court. Like he would literally just be there. And it's like, oh my God. There's He's ridiculous, if, that, man. if he was yelling at me, I would probably, you know, do some excrement in my pants. I'm not exactly sure which one. Can I, can I give you the John Calipari? Ben, I, I need to give you something right now that I've never given the people before. Please. I'm going to give you the John Calipari NCAA tournament timeline. Every NCAA tournament that's ever been in, this is what happens. There's a a pure timeline. His team gets seeded, and even when he's 38-0, or even when he's an eight seed, which he's been in the past, actually made the national championship as an eight seed that year before. Right. No matter where he's seeded, doesn't matter if his team's the best team in the history of the planet, which this team basically was, or it's 2014 or a different year. He goes on ESPN or whatever national network and tells you why his team is awful and why his team is young and why his team's inexperienced and why everyone is talking about his team, but nobody should be. They're massive underdogs, man. They, they, they have no, I mean, this team is so young. They, they, I'm just shocked we got here. It's amazing we even made it into this field of 60. I can't believe it. I mean, it's unbelievable. So that, right. that, that's step one. That's stage one right there. And, and then, then we get through the tournament. He, he always wins a few games. And then we get to a point where Kentucky's down in a game and Coach Cal just loses his mind. I yeah. mean, usually there's like two games where they, they cruise. 
and then there's a game, Sweet 16, Elite Eight. And in this in this tournament, actually, it wasn't this game. It was the Notre Dame game, which I forgot right. about. When I look back at the bracket, I forgot about that game. But Jerry and Grant had a three. I, this is off the top of my head, so I'd be wrong. But I remember Jerry and Grant on Notre Dame, who was a great, great player at Notre Dame, went mm-hmm. to the NBA, had a three to win that game in the Elite Eight and missed it. And Kentucky right. won by two. And that that's, so that's like Coach Cal losing his mind. Like, how is this game close? And then you get in to the Coach Cal playing a really, really good basketball team. And I'm going to be honest, there's there's multiple examples of this, and this Wisconsin game was another one. Stage three would be Coach Cal simply blowing a game in the last six minutes. I mean, making really, really weird decisions, drawing up basically nothing it looks like a lot of the time offensively. And offense just goes away for this Kentucky team in big moments. I've seen it so many times. The, the national championship in 2014 is a great example. They scored 50-something points in that game, and they had no offense. Right. I mean – the offense just disappears. And like Coach Cal just kind of looks confused though. It's almost, it's not angry anymore. It's just like, what, what is, what, what are we doing? What am I doing? I mean, those, those are my Coach Cal stages. And then in 2012, yeah, he won the national championship, but that was, that was literally the greatest college basketball team that's ever walked the face of the earth in the last 20 years at least. Folks, this is why Asher Lowe is a pro's pro, because he teased to you one of the later categories in this rewatch, his point of no return, where he's calling out Coach Cal's coaching abilities late in that game. That's why that's called a tease in this industry, and that's what keeps them coming back for more. Asher, you also, I think, left out one key component of Coach Cal's run to the NCAA tournament, and that's on Selection Sunday when he's sitting in his living room in Lexington, in Lexington Kentucky, and he's got just happens to have his framed jerseys signed from his former players like Anthony Davis and Derrick Rose just kind of sprawled out across his house. It's like, oh, I didn't know we were doing this in my fancy living room today. That's so funny. Have you seen all these number one picks that I have? Uh-oh, this is incredible. Sorry about that. Yeah, he, and, and then he goes on to tell you why his team is the youngest team of all time. Their average age is 15 years old, and, <laughs> and, they, and they, really, they really don't have a chance. Right. Hey. You're right. He gets to the NCAA tournament. Doesn't always win. No, it's but... smart. It's smart, though. I, I actually don't mind. It's, it's really a smart strategy. You want to be the underdog. You want to have things going against you in the tournament and then kind of overcome those odds. But it's Kentucky, please. Right. They, I mean, listen, he's trying to sell a brand, but the brand is still, hey, I'm Coach Cal and it's Kentucky. All right. Let's continue on with our rewatch here. We had the scene setting. We had the early impressions. Now, please give me your dude of the game. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months, or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. I think it's got to be Frank. And I know he kind of he kind of went away at the end of the game a little bit, but still made that huge drop step movie you talked about and setting the scene. But right. I think it's still Frank. And I I mean I don't want to want to go throughout the whole tournament and look back, but but Frank's the reason they're here. Frank's the reason you know he's the national player of the year. He's the reason that they're in this game in the first place. And he had a really really strong game for the most of the first half. He was he was really running the show. Also played solid defense down the stretch, and of course did make some big free throws. So I mean. To me, it's still Frank. Sam Decker had the best sequence, that that three that we talked about, that step-back three and then the charge right after it. Right. That that two-play sequence is probably the biggest sequence of the game, but to me, it's still got to be Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, Frank the leading scorer for both teams, and obviously – 
He did go cold a little bit in the second half, but he had a really good first half and then came up clutch with a huge move late that gave Wisconsin pretty much the lead that they would need to secure everything and hold off Kentucky at the end. I, just to be a little bit contraire, I'm going to take Sam Decker as my dude of the game. 16 points, 6 of 9 from the field, but you mentioned that stretch where he hit the step-back three that ultimately gave Wisconsin a lead they would never relinquish and then takes a charge on the very next defensive possession and then comes down the following offensive possession for Wisconsin, makes a nice move, gets fouled, only hits one of his two free throws, but again, extends the lead. And even more so for that, I think one of the more critical moments happened a few minutes before. It's around the four-and-a-half-minute mark. Wisconsin hadn't scored in like over seven minutes. Kentucky was in the midst of their 16-4 to run. They're up four all the momentum seems to be with Kentucky. And Sam Decker finds his way into the lane, makes a wonderful layup over Willie Cauley-Stein that kind of ended or stifled a little bit of that momentum for the Wildcats. Wisconsin was still down two at the time, but it was a huge play from Sam Decker. So I give him the nod as my dude of the game, not more so that I think he necessarily played a better overall game than Frank Kaminsky. I just think he stepped up in really, really critical moments. So for me, Sam Decker is the dude of the game. Yeah, no complaints from me there. I mean, he, it, it's 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 either or there. I mean, Sam Decker did have the best sequence, like I said, but you're not winning that game without Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky both on the court, no doubt right. about it. And they also combined for, I think, like 29 – Frank had 29 points in the win over Arizona. Sam Decker had 27, I think it was. Like they – or 20 – yeah, 27. That, that, that they both played on the right, right. way. Yeah, I mean, they were they both played incredibly throughout that run in the NCAA tournament. And, Asher, there should be no complaints from you at all throughout this thing because, hey, Wisconsin got the win. You know, that's a, it's got to be a very exciting moment, even reliving that a few years later. Yeah, we're not talking about the next one. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. Hey, don't worry. We won't talk about the next one. I, don't, I hate Duke, so I, we'll never talk about Duke on this podcast as long as I'm here running it. All right, so we continue on now with the point of no return. Not the turning point, but the point of no return. I think you've alluded to it. It's going to be some of Coach Calipari's coaching decisions down the stretch, but let's dive into it a little deeper here. I think it's the last, and I don't want to, it's hard to point to a single point, but if you're going to look at one like specific play, I think it's that Decker sequence. But more broadly, the last six minutes and 30 seconds of the game, Kentucky scored four points. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that, that stat speaks for itself. There's not much else to say beyond that. But the offense they were running, I mean, it was, I, I was sitting – like in my bedroom, just scrap. I was like, what am I watching? Like, is this real? Like, are they, right. are they giving this away? They ran one four, which is just simply four guys lined in the paint in literally a line. And it was Andrew Harrison up top, just dribbling, 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 dribbling at the top of the key. It looked like when Wisconsin this year ran some really bad late shot clock offense with Demetri Trice, but it was even worse than that because there was no screening. There was no action. It was literally just a one four, one out, four in, let Harrison go to work. I don't know what, I don't know what I was watching. And that happened literally on three consecutive possessions. And right. it turned into, I think two shot clock violations in that last six and a half. So mm-hmm. man, I, it was horrendous. I, and Devin Booker's on the bench. Tyler Eulis was on the bench for most of that six and a half. So I don't understand where the offense went. I don't understand why it went away. Why didn't they, why didn't they go to what was working, which was Carl Anthony Towns for the most part. Right. And also Sam Decker, man, Trey Lyles could not guard him. Nope. Like at all. It, it was kind of bad. I mean, Trey right. Lyles, the foot speed was just nowhere near. Decker's first step against Trey Lyles was, it was, it was, I mean, it was watching me play defense in the rec, man. It's not good. <laughs> it literally, it's like, uh, Trey Lyles could not stay in front of that man. So I'm just wondering, what, what, what do I want? Like, you have a biggest mismatch on the court. 
which is anyone can see right now. Decker just just beasting up Trey Lyles, and then of course he does what he does in the last minute and a half. But we could see that for the last ten minutes of the game that Sam Decker could get by Trey Lyles whenever he wanted to, especially in single coverage. It was over. And then you have Andrew Harrison running one four, dribbling the basketball up top. I was lost, and I think Coach Cal was too. Yeah. I mean, I actually think you bring up a great point with Tyler Ulis being on the bench because they alluded to it a few times in the broadcast, and you could really see that both offensively and defensively, they were a better team when Ulis was on the floor. I think on the offensive side of things, instead of running the 1-4, that left you mind-blown and also Bill Raftery saying, like, what the heck is Kentucky doing right now? I think Tyler Ulis' ability to play make and also had a pretty good knockdown shot for the most part that could have opened up things offensively, maybe cleared out some space for Cat. And then defensively, he was just a hound, and it made them a little bit better, I think, across the floor. And I still think if it was matched up, even with Ulis on the floor, Sam Decker versus Lyles, like he, Sam Decker's going to take Trey Lyles' lunch every time. But still, I just think the decision to keep Tyler Ulis on the bench when he had been having a pretty solid game throughout really didn't make an impact late in that game when they could have used him most. My better no return. Season, I think. I think Ben. I think that was all yep. year. Honestly, when I watched them all year, I think Tyler Ulis made them the better team when he was on the floor, no doubt. I, maybe. Do you think it had anything to do with the fact that he was just a freshman and the Harrison twins had been there the year before? Like, do you think that swayed Coach Cal at all? I think, especially with the look at what Harris. It's a good point because look what the Harrison twins did, or especially Andrew uh, or Aaron. Which uh, it was number five. I. I Oh man, I, I well, we'll take it. Hey, listen, this is five years. One of the ago. two we'll Harrison word for twins. It. One of the two Harrison twins made three consecutive massive shots in the in the NCAA tournament the year before. Yeah, so, I, I mean, maybe that was part of it, but the basketball was definitely in Andrew Harrison's hands because I have it written in my notes. So I know that was who had it for that for right. most of the one four that one four action, whatever it was. And yeah, maybe that's a part of it for sure. But Tyler Ulis was, as you said, a defensive pest, underrated defender, played in the NBA. And not sure where he is now, but he played for the Suns for a while and honestly could have been an NBA role player, in my opinion. I think he still could be. So see if he gets back there. But yeah, I don't, I don't really know what it was beyond the fact maybe you're right that the Harrison twins had made big shots in the past, especially in 2014 to get to the national championship. And Tyler Ulis was simply a freshman, but coach Cal lives off freshmen. So I mean, I don't know. Maybe it goes back to he said something on Selection Sunday, like you mentioned, and he was just like, oh, nope, can't have too many freshmen out there. Can't do it, won't do it. Just can't do it in these moments. That's what I told you, man. It's 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 stage one. That's classic. There will never be a Selection Sunday interview with Coach Cal where it's not all about how many freshmen he has and how they're all 12 years old. It's like (laughs) – I like how you keep going down in age two. It was 15 a couple minutes ago. Yeah, it'll be seven by the end. Yeah. Hey, that's the Coach Cal mantra. So my point of no return, two minutes, 40 seconds left. Wisconsin down two, and it's the play where Nigel Hayes drives baseline on Cat. Cat makes a great defensive play, gets the rejection, falls back into Nigel Hayes' hands. He goes up with it, gets the bucket to go, but it was very clear that there was no time remaining on the shot clock. It should have been a shot clock violation. It was not. And because this happened around 235, 240, there's nothing Kentucky can do, nothing the officials can do to review this and overturn it. But it ends up tying the game at 60. Wisconsin really never looks back from that time. It just added on to their momentum. I mean, if you're a Wisconsin fan, you're saying, like, thank you. You're just saying your prayers up, and you're very, very happy. If you're Kentucky fans re-watching this game, you probably threw your computer across the floor because that was a moment that is just infuriating, especially because you're just stifling. You can't do anything about it. And you, looking back, you're like, I, the review should have been there, but it wasn't because – Again, there was about 40 seconds from that two-minute mark when they needed to be able to have that review. So, hey, for me, as a 
unbiased observer watching this game, I'm like, oof, that, that stings for Kentucky. But Wisconsin ended up taking advantage of it. Obviously, it was still a tied game at that time. It didn't end the game. There was still 240 left. And Wisconsin was the one who ended up doing more with it than Kentucky. So, hey, you got to tip your cap to the Badgers and Bo Ryan. And, hey, they ended up prevailing. So that was my point of no return, though. There were some bad calls in the last three yeah. minutes of this game on both ends. That was that was the worst one, and I'm not gonna. I don't really want to talk about it much. We we all know what it was. It's okay. Wisconsin right. <laughs> fans kind of forget it. It's fine. It was it was no questionable no question about that call. But then Sam Decker got fouled, or I put that in error quotes here. Just not not great podcasting, but yes, I'm, I'm doing error quotes in my house right now. But right, Sam Decker was not fouled uh, at all and got to the line for two. Right, ticky tack stuff. I would have been livid if it was on the other end. And I'm sure Wisconsin fans would have too. But moving on from that, even there were there were also calls that I thought two two specifically, or actually one that really did have a huge impact on the game that I thought was the wrong call, which was Frank Kaminsky slid in and I think got there in time to draw a charge in the final minute against mm-hmm. Harrison, which ended up becoming a three point play, made the basket, and they called a blocking foul on Frank. That made it I think sixty four sixty three. Right. So that that to me was was also a missed call. So that that's three points that way, two point or probably four points Wisconsin's way. So I mean. To me, there were some bad calls on both ends down the stretch. I guess definitely the most blatant one was the shot clock violation, though. Right. All right, let's end up this rewatch of Wisconsin and Kentucky again. The Badgers coming out victorious, seeking revenge, and they got it. 71-64 over the Wildcats. Asher, who was your sneaky performer of the game? It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA, and now through June 30. Get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. So I didn't remember these free throws, and that's why I want to make him my sneaky performer of the game. But Bronson Koenig was only 4 yep. of 12 from the field, went 3 of 4 of the line. Wisconsin, by the way, in this game, 18 of 22 from the free throw line. That's been a over 80%. That's been a story for Wisconsin basketball, I feel like, as far as I can remember, that they are just a very good free throw shooting team most years. And, mm-hmm. of course, the one exception to that is the Ethan Happ kind of when he took more free throws than anybody on the team. But right. I'm talking about that Florida game, which is where free throws became an issue. But in this game, Wisconsin, 18 of 22 from the line. But the two biggest free throws that I didn't really remember, I remember the the Decker step back three, clear as day, of course. Mm-hmm. I remember the Frank Kaminsky getting fouled in that drop step move. I remember that. I didn't remember Bronson being the one that went to the line for those two huge free throws when Wisconsin right. was up two. And I think there was 20-something seconds left, maybe a little less. And it was – a two-point Wisconsin lead. Kane gets both free throws. It's a four-point game. And then after that, it's pretty much over unless Kentucky pulls off a miracle. So those two free throws were the were the sneaky performance of the game for me, and I give it to Bronson Canning for that. I'm going with another fellow of his sophomore at the time, and Nigel Hayes also ended up, like Kane did, with 12 points. And I give the nod to Nigel Hayes because they talked about it a lot in the broadcast. He didn't shoot one single three in his freshman year in 2014. He Ended up working on that a lot over the summer. Developed the long ball as part of his game and then hit two huge threes against Kentucky. Half of his 12 points came from behind the arc. So for that reason, I give him my sneaky performance because I don't think there was really a guy really on either side that besides your really you know star players and Kaminsky and Decker for Wisconsin and then Cat 
and maybe a few of the Harrison twins at points during the game. Nobody really came out of the woodwork to have a huge game that left us remembering them in the final four. But I think Nigel Hayes, when he hit those two threes, and I completely agree with you, Bronson Koenig, hitting those two huge free throws at a time when that was a monumental moment, still pretty young in his career. It's funny looking back to on Nigel Hayes and like Bronson Koenig and Zach Showalter and being like, oh yeah, you guys were at one point like freshmen and sophomores because I just remember them for all that they did in their times in Madison. They'll always seem like old guys to me. But then they're like, yeah, Bronson Koenig, his sophomore year. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, he must have been a sophomore at some point. But I think both of those guys, good enough to earn the nod as part of the sneaky performance. Asher, I appreciate your time here, man. I hope that you were able to enjoy this, and I'm sure you were as a Wisconsin fan yourself, to look back on the Badgers' huge win in 2015, getting that revenge over Kentucky. Was it fun for you? Did it spice up your afternoon just at least a little bit? Absolutely, man. This was It was awesome to see. And I, I forgot kind of how – how against the ropes Wisconsin seemed to be because they had the lead most of the game and they were down four with like six minutes left. And I forgot how much of a feeling there was where this is inevitable. Kentucky's going to pull this out right in the, middle, in the middle of that second half. So it was awesome to see, awesome to relive. And yeah, Bill Rath threw the onions call with the dagger. You yep. gotta love it. Gotta love an onions call. Anytime you get a Rath onions call, especially in a big moment like the final four, it always leaves you with a smile on your face. And Asher Lowe, you have left me with a smile on my face as well. Once again, Asher Lowe, the host of the Locked On Badgers podcast. Follow along with what he's doing to fill this void of sports as well. I know he's churning out some great content. So Asher, thank you very much once again, my friend. Thank you, man. This was awesome. All right. The NCAA tournament is almost here. And listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.